The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Well, good morning, good morning, everybody. It is Sunday morning and this is the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and uh, I have the pleasure of welcoming two of the dandy gang. Uh, we have Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery and Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulbs. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good pleasure, morning. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> and we've already started. We've already got into it. You have... Um, Claimed um, galanthophiles. Yes. It's a, a, it's a galanthophile meeting this morning. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We've but discussed everything now. We're yes. going so. home, aren't we? Yes. It's all done, done and dusted. Absolutely. Craig will be getting on a soapbox and we will all be talking about lots and lots of plants. Everyone's brought in lots of plants. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how much is flowering. And you, Abe's you got a collection what? too, by I the have yeah. my Indigenous flora collection. Yeah. Do you know what? It, it, this time of year is, it, it is a time of great beauty and delicacy. In the garden. Absolutely. For both natives and and exotics. Yeah, well, all of these, or actually most of them, there's a couple there that are from the garden, which are the Grevillea rosemary folias, but uh, I walked through the bush yesterday and there's so much flowering already. Uh Uh, Of course, all the wattles, the acacias are starting to fire up and the native clematis and the bush peas there's always so much to see. And nothing that hits you in the face. No, it's it's all it all feels right when you walk through the bush. Yeah. It's uh, everything always seems perfectly placed and but the thing is you can't really um, copy that in your own garden. It, it, it just never translates, does it? If you try and get that exact sort of look in the garden because plants yeah. in the bush when they're in that sort of environment, they can look a bit scraggly if you look at them with garden-type eyes, but when they're in the bush, they just seem perfect. Well, yeah, which comes to the point that there's really no such thing as a natural garden. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. all a construct. Absolutely. And, yeah. it's, and being in the bush, I actually am sort of going more and more, um, I wouldn't say against gardens, but more trying to have a garden that blends really well with the bush. And Do you think that's possible? Um, I, I think it is for me mostly because I we use Indigenous plants. Mm-hmm. Like we're pretty much probably 90%. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm in an environmental living zone, so we have to plant Indigenous plants. And uh, I do have a few non-Indig and exotics in pots around the place. Mm. Um, and there are a, a few plants um, from before I knew what all the indigenous, indigenous plants were. Like I've got um, Coria uh, baolenii, the chef's cap Coria mm-hmm. in there, which isn't indigenous to us. That's New South Wales plant. 
Um, and we've got a couple of Kurrajong, so the Brachycarton Populneus, nice. and mm-hmm. they were planted before um, Ray bought the property. Okay. And they're, they're sort of, um, they were sentimental to the previous owner, so Ray said he'd leave them in there. Um, and they're gorgeous and beautiful, and, and they don't do any harm. They're not um, weedy or anything mm. like that. But, yeah, so I, I do try and plant in ditch with everything, and, and, and it makes a difference. Yeah. And we come the from the weedy nongs. <laughs> the weedy nongs, yeah. <laughs> Which is so damaged. Oh, oh. Yeah. Craig has this amazing gift of always making me laugh. It's great. You, you, you make the world a happier place, my dear friend. <laughs> you do. Um, when you're talking about walking in the bush, AB, I think um, the message to people is that look up and look around you. Don't just look where your feet are going. I, I get you have to just so you don't fall in a hole. But... Um, I don't think people take time to just stop and look up mm. or uh, and appreciate what you're talking about of, you know, the clematis and things like that. that mm. I, I think people miss it because they're just, oh, yes, I'm out in the bush and I'm getting fresh air. Yep. No, it, immerse yourself in it. Just stop and take five minutes to just have a look around. I well, think, that's know. funny that you mention that because I know that there's this particular spot where the bush peas are starting to come into flower at the moment. So last night I was like, oh, I'm going to quickly rush out and, and get a couple. And I was walking, walking, looking. I'm like, I know they're here. I know they're here. And I completely walked past them because I was walking so fast. So I thought, no, I know I've gone too fast. So I turned around and started walking slowly back along the trail. And, of course, there they all were. Uh, so but that's yeah. how people miss all the orchids and things too. Yeah. You just walk straight I was, past. I was going to say you need you need to look down a little bit, if, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> along the side of the tracks and things to see the green hoods and stuff that are out now. Yeah, um, yeah. I see the cyclists going past all the time, and, ooh, and I'll be working sorry. out. No, no, they're fine. I mean, do they have their right to be on the road? I don't have an issue with that. But they miss so much because they don't stop. And, and, you know, I'm working in the garden and I can hear satin bowerbirds and I can hear lyrebirds and I think you guys should just stop for five minutes and have a listen. It's the mountain bikers that get me, Craig. That, okay, I don't um, know them. So we're in the middle of the National Park, as everybody knows, and now the mountain bikers are making their own trails through the bush. So, um, you know, there's all, all these paths that they've just damaged all the, the bush to yeah. make mountain bike. Did they just my little soapbox for the morning. Please mm. don't. Mm. Stick to the paths. Yeah. Stick yep. to the city. Go away. Leave me alone. <laughs> you can't be a mountain biker in the city. But in, in saying that, I, I, I mean, I'm an ex-racing cyclist, mountain biking, track cycling, road cycling. So well, I, I, do, I do see both sides of the coin. Um, I know down in, um, oh, what's that place? Starts with W. Um, in the bush, Warburton. Or? Warburton, yeah. They um, they were trying to get up a um, a mountain bike. They wanted to be like a real mountain bike sort of centre. An extravaganza. Yeah, and uh, lots of paths, etc. And I think that has um, just been declined, so that's not going to be happening. Hmm. Um, but I mean, it is a tricky one because with a mountain bike is. You know, at least they're out in the bush and and getting to know the bush and getting a bit of an affinity with it. And you sort of feel like the the people that are going out into these areas are the ones that hopefully will realise how precious they are and maybe start protecting them or um, campaigning to protect them, those sorts of things. But stick to established trails. Stick to trails, yeah, yeah. Don't Mm. uh, don't be cowboys and Mm. go and, yeah, wreck things. I mean, nature is both robust and delicate, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, and resilient. And resilient, yeah, if mm. we let it be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Craig. Well, let's. Um, you came in very, very passionate this morning. Oh, fired up um, like you wouldn't fi- believe. Fired up. Or <laughs> almost didn't say hello, and he was like, "Oh, Abby, did you see? Come on, give us a give us a synopsis of what you want to talk about, and maybe for people that didn't see the show, give yeah. us a bit of a sort of rundown on that." On Tuesday night, I watched the show on Bruce Pascoe's book Dark Emu, which I found deeply disturbing and really sad. Deeply disturbing in that the author, Bruce Pascoe, writes a book that that questions orthodoxy and is vilified and savaged for it. And I think that's because he is an indigenous... Well, he's not really an indigenous man. He's a man with indigenous blood in him. Mm. Not a lot. And he's a person who, who, who freely admits that. But he writes this book and... Suddenly people are questioning his ethnicity. Really? I mean, anyone can write a book. Um, I, th- he- I think they've been questioning him for a while. So, But this really was on steroids. Okay. Yeah, they, they fired up. And, 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 and the other thing that really annoyed me – no, hang on. I'm going to get my headspace together here. It's sad because we lost so much mm-hmm. because, because the genocide was so swift and so complete that all this knowledge is gone. And, and I think that pertains to horticulture as well, mm. which is, is my point. And, and then there's this academic who's using terms like hunter and gatherer plus to describe our Indigenous people. Um, and he's, he's questioning the cultivation of plants subtly, he didn't directly question it. He was subtly questioning it. And, and my point as a gardener was, well, if you want to question the cultivation of plants, you need to grow them. And if you don't grow them, you're not in a position to question it. Do you think the question, because I haven't seen the show yet, but um, definitely flagged to, to watch it, Craig. It, it's a must. Especially now, yes. Yeah. Um, do you think the questioner was obviously looking at it from a lens of how we grow plants now and how we think of cultivation versus how um, cultivation should be looked at? Absolutely, yeah. And he was he was looking at it from the, uh, I, I believe, and this is just my opinion, from mm-hmm. the lens of a white person in farming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of yep. course you can't look at Indigenous agriculture in that way mm. because it was a very different way of growing things and, and it brings me to the point of the Murnong which I was talking about last time I was here and, the, and in the last few weeks I've noticed them going a little bit backwards and I've been racking my brains as to why this is happening because I just put them in the ground and they took off like rockets and seeded everywhere and now there's just this subtle decline mm-hmm. n- not dramatic and light bulb moment when I was weeding around them, they need to be dug up and divided. Yep. Yeah. And, and a plant like that needs to be dug up and divided is a plant to me that has been cultivated for a very long time mm-hmm. by people. And, and, you know, I look at an example that I've got in my hand here, which is Primula vulgaris. If you don't split them, you lose them. And that, that's because they, they are, they're a man-made construct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and my personal belief is that Murnong is the same. It's a construct. Yeah, so we're talking about the Microceros, yeah. uh, of which there's three species, Lanceolata, Walteri, 
scapigera mm-hmm. and um, yeah, used for its tubers. Tubers, yeah. Yep. Um, well, I actually learned, and uh, Craig and I were talking about this earlier, that um, I always thought the, the Murnong was Microceros lanceolata. But uh, after a visit to Willem Warain and um, chatting with the, with the guys down there, um, learned that it's Walteri and I think Scapagera that are the two which are most used for their tubers because they have the larger tubers. But yeah, um, Peter was actually saying the exact same thing. They need mm. to be divided. Yeah, nobody told me that. It just it just occurred to me that I was racking my brains thinking as to why these things would suddenly start a subtle decline. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and then I, yeah. I realise they, they want to be split up. Yeah, I mean, they do die back anyway at this That's time the of the year. That's the summertime, yeah. But yeah, at this time so of the year, they should be jumping oh, out I of the ground. Like, um, now, I'm just trying to think when I was down there. Yeah, you're right. Actually, it was really hot. So, and that's when they were dying down. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when they were splitting up. And, and um, I, don't, I sort of don't want to be telling um, the wrong stories or anything, but mm. they talk about the, the, the grandmother tuber and the, the mothers and the daughters and, mm-hmm. and the. I think it's the take the grandmother and leave the mother and the daughters. Mm. P- probably getting that wrong, but it's along those lines. So that you, there's always something that's going back in the ground um, for replenishing and and using in the following years. Mm. Yeah, I'd suggest you're exactly right, AB. With you know, you take the older and leave the younger. Yeah, to, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's a to, normal division yeah, process. Uh, yeah, and it's quite a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah not not my way of course. Just just coming back to dark emu for just one minute. Mm-hmm. There was one thing that really resonated with me, and that was the fact that there are very few books that you read that absolutely and fundamentally shift the way you think about an issue. Yeah. And I mean, I could count them on one hand. Things fall apart. Train to Pakistan. The matriarch, just to name a couple, but dark emu fundamentally shifted the way I think about Indigenous Australia, mm-hmm. and that's wow. really good. Yeah, that's a really good thing to happen to you. It is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, just having having previous, I suppose, not even necessarily beliefs, but just sort of understandings, and you um, from the knowledge that you've read or whatever, and you and you think you're right, and then something else comes along and challenges that, and and if you do dig a little bit deeper, so to speak, and do a bit more research, mm-hmm. and then work out um, w- which works best for you. In it terms forces of, you to dig deeper yeah, that book, yeah. and and even if if fifty percent of what he says is not the case, it's still a fantastic thing. Yeah, it gives if you it a new way of thinking. You to think, yeah, yeah, yeah. For and sure. so I'm eternally grateful to the author, to Bruce Pascoe, for providing me with that. Mm. Yeah. So we all have to go and watch. The show. And if you haven't read the book, book read it yep. because it's 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 a light bulb moment and it, it really questions the hunter gatherer. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I've done it. You've done it. Well done, Craig. <laughs> Get back to Galanthus <laughs> now. Just see the relief <laughs> on his face. <laughs> I like the passion, and you're right, it, it does all relate back to horticulture, and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate, A, your passion for mm. it, but also sort of have that understanding that um, horticulture is broad. and it's Yeah, not, and that these people were gardeners. Yeah, yeah. for sure. There's no doubt in my mind yep. that they were gardeners. Yeah. yeah, very good. All right, well, this is the 3CR Garden Show. Um, I'm A.B. Bishop and I'm with Jane Tonkin and Craig Wilson and uh, we are going to be talking lots of things about bulbs, uh, some indigenous flora from my region, Bend of Islands, 
just outside Warrandyte. Um, but I will get to a few community announcements to start with. Uh, so first of all, Open Gardens Victoria. Uh, they have an online um, bird-friendly gardening event and this is taking place on Thursday the 31st of August from 7.30 till 8.30 p.m. Uh, Sharing our gardens with birds can be a joy for us and importantly gives us the opportunity to provide a valuable habitat for them. As our urban areas expand and become more dense, turning our own space into habitat refuges is more important than ever. You can join Dr. Annie Naimo of BirdLife Australia to learn about the fundamental features of habitat gardening. This session will cover the role of our garden in supporting wildlife and biodiversity, as well as the principles of selecting plants and designing your garden to support your local bird life. Uh, They will touch also on a number of other steps that can be taken in our homes to promote to promote environmental health and minimise our impact on wildlife. Um, So this is an online event um, through Open Gardens Victoria, Thursday the 31st of August from 7.30 till 8.30pm and it's $30 per ticket. Um, So you can hop onto the Open Gardens Victoria website uh, to um, get the links to pay for that. They have also got on a competition that's running at the moment, which has been running for a little while, for June and July, I think it was. So it's ending soon. And this is the Home Garden Hacks competition. Uh, Throughout June and July, we're asking you to send a description and photos of your greatest home garden hack. I think mine might be Ray because he does everything for me. <laughs> he's so useful in the garden and he's always morning out about morning Ray. He's always spying things before I do. And, and My then, mulching fork. <laughs> your mulching fork. I thought, he okay. would say, I thought he would say chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, send, so you send in a photo of um, what your garden hack is and um, – they're looking for the best canny garden ideas from Victorian gardeners. Uh, perhaps you have a unique composting technique or a trick that keeps the snails or possums away from your precious Great plants. Um, have you upcycled a household item to hold your garden hose or perfectly trained your crop of beans? Reveal your secret garden hacks and would love to see and share them with the op- um, Open Gardens Victoria community. And it's going to be um, judged, so to speak, by Chloe Thompson from Been There, Dug That. So, um, and people who know Chloe um, know that she is a passionate and, um, yeah, very um, experienced gardener. So, no doubt she's very knowledgeable. Very knowledgeable, yeah. yeah. So, that is the Open Gardens Victoria Home Garden Hacks competition. So, that ends at the end of July. So, better get onto that quickly. So, I'll have to send in a photo of Ray doing something in the garden. Mm. The, the bird thing is so vital. It's nice, isn't it? That, it's I reckon so that'll vital. be a great event. And, you know, it's one thing that drives me insane with these people that like to have a little bit of Versailles in their garden, you know, and you see it all over the place now, little twirls of English box and stuff, provides nothing for anything no. other than them. Yeah. Yeah. I know. When you start looking at your garden through 
habitat eyes, mm-hmm. you you realise the um, sort of downfalls and 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 positives also to what's there and yeah. what could be there. It doesn't matter whether it's an exotic or a native garden either. In my view, there's always something that you can have that's going to encourage the birds to come in. Yeah, for sure, yeah. absolutely. You know, it's interesting because um, with the little birds, we often talk about having dense shrubs and um, prickly shrubs and those sorts of things. Um, and, of course, they are important. But where I am being in the bush, our driveway is about 200 to 20 metres and it essentially winds through the bush and exactly what was there. And there's a lot of very – I mean, it, naturally in the bush when trees and, and tall shrubs grow together, they naturally tend to grow quite close together. So um, we've got a lot of kunzia and it's pretty much grown straight up and then there's um, – We've got a bunch of ukes, of course, and the, we've got finches and uh, wrens and uh, the tree creepers and yellow robins and all, all the really little cute birds. Mm. And they spend a lot of their time just in the treetops. Yep. So it's – and, of course, that's – you know, a lot of them are insectivorous, <coughs> so that's where those insects are hanging out. And uh, so it's not only these dense – smaller shrubs that Mm. we need like to be able to grow something that's really quite tall doesn't have to sort of overpower the entire garden have to be a massive tree or anything but the slender tall shrubs i think are very important it's it's the layers isn't it it is the layers yeah and i don't think prickly makes an iota of difference because i've never seen a carawong being deterred by thorns yeah, although some of those really dense shrubs, uh, dense, the, the, yes, yeah, the the, yeah. the big birds just yeah avoid. The other thing, the other thing is is the sighting of bird baths. You know, you don't put a bird bath where you think it looks nice because it's fundamentally useless. You put it where the birds can start at the top, look around, see if it's safe, come down a bit lower, look around, see if it's safe. And then jump into the bird bath and feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And having a few bird baths around the place, I, I think, is imperative because you have ones of different sizes, yeah. different depths, different positions. Like the big birds, they don't mind the bird baths out in the open. No, but that's what magpies and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're apex. Absolutely, mm. yeah. But yeah. Um, but the little guys want some protection, they do, and they want yeah. to see. If it's safe. Want to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So I've, I have bird, I've got about 13 bird baths and some are amongst the couriers and the it's just an absolute delight yeah. to watch the wrens coming in and then jump from the shrub itself into the bird bath, have a bit of a bath. Mm-hmm. And, and it's such a social event for them as well, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like they just what, One of the things I love the best is when the chuffs come down and you'll have – Ten chuffs, and of course they choose the smallest bird bath, and then they all want to get in at the same time, and it's just the best, best comical. fun. It is yeah. comical watching them. It the, the, in the summertime at my place, the big black cockies come down for the bird bath. Oh, beautiful! And, and that is black extraordinary. Cockies. They're like primates. Oh. You know, the the, the 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 leader of the flock sits up the top and looks out. Well, do you know we have them. Um, either passing overhead or coming coming into the ukes, mm. but they have never come down to the bird baths. Yeah, they do that quite often in my place, okay. only in the summer. 
I'm jealous. Yeah. Mm, very jealous. And then they, 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 yeah, yeah. The, 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 the leader of the flock will sit right up in the oak tree, right up the top, and talking to them the whole time. Wow. Yeah. How fantastic. Did you get a video of that, Greg? I, I, I hesitate to go near yeah, them. You know, I just yeah. like to leave them. Leave to them it. alone. Yeah. 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 I was because um, you know winter is you know dormant perennials and digging and dividing and all those sort of things in the nursery trade. Um, so I was doing platilla orchids the other day, and I have to actually sort of hose them out rather than teasing apart because you break all the beautiful new shoots really easily. So my wash bench is situated where I can look out over the paddock and things and all the little blue wrens were coming and dancing mm-hmm. around in the water and stuff because we've got a row of um, lilacs right next door and like Craig was saying, you know, they're up in the top of the lilac ready to go, oh, yeah, this is all safe. And yeah, yeah so you're, you're standing there in all of this, you know, magic beauty. Yes, my hands were freezing cold, but yes. you look up and little blue wrens bobbing around. You go, well, life's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, they've just started arriving in my garden, the blue wrens, yep. and I think it's because the garden's maturing a bit yep. and then getting some thickets S- and some things. Space and yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah, how lovely. Yeah. All right, I better keep going oh, sorry, with the community, community announcements. Sorry, yep. just before we do that, yes. bird thing was thirty dollars a ticket. Was the bird it, thing was thirty dollars a ticket? Yep, yep. So excellent. It's online, that's so pretty that's cheap. Open. So that is, yeah. Go for it. Open Gardens Victoria and um, with a bird life. Australia expert. Uh, Okie dokie. Heritage Fruits Society has got their grafting and tree sales days. This is on Saturday the 5th of August and Sunday the 6th of August. Um, The Saturday version is from 10 till noon and the Sunday version is from 9 till noon. Oh, actually they're on different different places so I better relay that I didn't realize so the Saturday 5th of August is at 10 o'clock till noon at Ceres um, which is the corner of Stewart Street and Robert Street in Brunswick and then the Sunday version is from 9am till noon at Petty's Orchard One Homestead Road in Templestowe uh, free entry to both events. Uh, they offer scion sales uh, from a wide range of varieties of apples and other fruits and uh, tree sales of two-year-old ready-to-plant apple and plum trees. Uh, there's a grafting demonstration and an orchard tour at Petty's Orchard. So that's the 5th and 6th of August. August, uh, the Heritage Fruits Society Grafting and Tree Sales Days, and you can just go to their website, heritagefruitssociety.org. Um, 26th of August, so Saturday the 26th of August, the Friends of Melton Botanic Garden invite you to the Western Region Garden Clubs Conference. Uh, starting at 10 a.m., the speakers are Jane Edmondson, Simon Rickard and Tim Entwistle. Um, on Sunday, the 27th of August, there's a guided tour of Melton Botanic Gardens to see the dry climate plants, which I have to say, it's such a beautiful um, space, isn't it? The Botanic Gardens out there. Um, always something in flower. Uh, so the conference itself is from... Um, nine o'clock and runs through until four o'clock and it's at the Melton Community Hall in Melton. $45 per person includes morning and afternoon tea and light lunch and you must book um, and please book as soon as possible because places are limited. 
so that's the Friends of Melton Botanic Garden. So you can hop onto their website to get more information. The Friends of Geelong Botanic Garden have got their August-themed walk, which is Chinese plants in our garden. China had the first botanical garden in 138 BC, an enormous park with 2,000 different plants and hothouses, um, and the second emperor had built the largest gardens in history and searched far and wide for rare and beautiful plants. 2,000 years of Chinese horticultural endeavour in rich gardens all over the world. Join your guide at the Geelong Botanic Gardens front steps to see how many of our plants have Chinese origins. So this is on Sunday the 13th of August at 2pm. That's a little humbling, so isn't it? Yeah, it is. Oh, 100%. <laughs> You know, you think of of Australian native plants and the, the breeding that we've done. And I might add how far we have come oh, in yeah. our breeding in such a short, a short period, period of time. time. Imagine yeah. how mm. our plants are going to be in 2,000 years. Yeah, that's right. So we, we're going to have... Yeah. Um, extraordinary. E- extraordinary, yes. We're going to have mm. wattle blooms the size of, yeah. uh, the size of footballs. <laughs> Hopefully not too big. Not, 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 not too big, yeah. Look, um, this is the 3CR Gardening Show and we'd like to invite listeners to um, – you can text in for the time being. Um, our producer is on their way. Um, they will be here shortly and you'll be able to call in. But for the time being, um, you can text on 0488-809-855 if you have any gardening questions at all. And even before uh, Jane had arrived here, there were questions coming through for her. So, um, Uh Jane, uh, so Cheryl from Bitten has said, Jane, can you please discuss how best to grow pleonies? Yep, well done. Oh, thank you. Uh, Fertiliser, type of potting mix, position, how many varieties are there? And do you have anything new that you're currently working on? So a few Good morning, Cheryl, on um, and thank you for, you know, put me on the spot. This is great. Um, okay, so we're talking about pleione orchids, which are a terrestrial orchid. Um, there are some epiphytic ones in the genus, and they're native to the foothills of the Himalaya through Tibet, India, um, Taiwan, uh, etc., a lot of them sort of in rhododendron sort of forests and things like that. Um, and so terrestrial meaning that basically they're ground loving. Mm-hmm. So when we hear the word orchid, please don't get all stressed about orchid mixes and um, hot houses and things like that. These little darlings will grow out in the garden, but best in pot culture because they um, have this wow effect. The, the blooms are a typical orchid sort of catalia type shaped bloom, but they get to um, oh, about 10, 15 centimetres across and about 10 centimetres high, the actual bloom itself, wow. on a stem to only 10, 15 centimetres tall. Uh, so in a pot, they just have this amazing wow factor that makes everybody sort of stop and look at them. Um, so as to the mix. Um, <laughs> Craig's kept looking at me all shocked because I um, had discussed this with him because he's inherited some pleonies. And, um, so it's basically a third of a rich humus composty mix, mm-hmm. leaf mould, etc. a third gravel or perlite. And can perlite. you buy that? 
You can buy some really good quality composts, but mm -hmm. most people out there that are going to be growing these sort of woodland yummies are, are making their own composts mm -hmm. and things yep. too, AB. But, yeah, it's worth spending money on a really good quality compost. Mm -hmm. Leaf mould you can make yourself. It's, um, you know... Down the local park under the oak trees. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the gardeners would be delighted if you're taking some of the leaves. Mm. Yeah, well, some people you see people blowing leaves out of their yard. Well, you know, get onto them. Get onto yeah. them and say, "Make me a pile. I'll come and pick it up." Yeah. And um, you know, rot that down over a couple of years, and it's that beautiful friable stuff that you want to add. Yeah. So it's a, a third of that to a third of either perlite or gravel, so that it gives that rich humor stuff some great drainage mm -hmm. while still maintaining moisture it's going to sound funny and then it's a third fertilizer which completely shocked me and so craig nearly fell off his chair and for mr i love using organic plus um <laughs> that's right you know for me to shock him my, my day has been made um now craig and i both use um organic plus it's basically a palletized um manure took manure type thing, so a bit like Dynamic Lifter, but we both agree, I think, that it's a lot better. It's very good fertiliser. Yeah. Um, so any of those smelly ones, you could, if you've got blood and bone or something like that, you can um, replace it with that. But I find the palletised ones are a lot better mixing through mm -hmm. um, beforehand. So... And maybe um, don't wash through as quickly. As quickly mm. as what blood and bone does. And they don't need to be particularly deep. The The bulb is actually what they call a pseudo bulb. So it puts all its energy into making the flower and leaves and a new one. Mm -hmm. And then that will shrivel up once it's gone. So that's the pseudo-y type. So it's not a true bulb. Mm -hmm. um, so they don't, and they don't need to be deep. So you're only planting that. It looks like a big teardrop when you get your little pseudo bulb um, and you have a third of that buried into that potting mix and stuff. Um, they're dormant over the winter. All the literature around the world tells you that they need a dry winter. Mm -hmm. um, Jane says no. <laughs> There's nothing okay. like experience. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Um, yeah. So our pleonies stay out all winter. And as you know, we're up in the Dandenongs where we get a lot of rain. Um, and I, I have dried them off over the winter and I find that the, that brand new pseudo bulb that is there over the winter starts to decay, um, before it's even done its thing. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, the experience of leaving them out and seeing that, that added moisture over the winter is actually a good thing for pleonies. Mm -hmm. Um, and where they come from in in the wild, it, it's that misty sort of environment too. They're, they're not dry over the winter either. Yeah. Mm. And of it's course, if we're growing them, if we're growing things in pots, very different culture to things that are planted in the ground. Exactly. Yeah. But the ones I've got in my little wild garden um, are out all winter too. Mm -hmm. um, but that's in that beautiful mountain friable soil um, as well. But pleonies are really good fun. And even when they've – so when they finish flowering, they have these um, amazing sort of nearly foot-long pleated leaves as well. Um, and then they go dormant over the winter. Um, so I, I think it's something that's worth getting into. They're, mm -hmm. they're relatively easy. Yeah. Um, and, but but really showy. Yeah, and if you look online, there is a, a, an enormous array of varieties yeah. 
what is available in Australia is perhaps a fraction of that. Yeah. Mm. Um, so we basically sell probably half a dozen each year, different ones. But I think the collection's well and truly over 60 now. Mm. We've got so You've got 60 varieties. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. You got the red ones? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna let, I'm just gonna let <laughs> listeners know that um, this morning before we went to air, um, Jane got very excited about something that Craig brought in, which is rare and I, I'm actually thinking this is a little bit of a uh, Facebook marketplace private event here just between Craig and Jane swapping plants and getting yep. all excited about unusual things. Yeah, because Craig brought me in plants this morning. <laughs> we, we bought Jane some things because she has an issue with her in-laws. <laughs> Yeah, um, because the, the plant in question may be an aconitum. <laughs> Talk more about that. Okay, so um, Craig has generously brought me in a aconitum delphinifolium. Um, now, aconitums are um, known as wolfsbane or um, monkshood, monkshood um, which if you remember sort of Merlin and all those sort of things of using wolfsbane to knock people off kind of thing. <laughs> Um, yeah. Which is where Greg's reference is coming in. Or if you watched that fantastic series with Jeremy Irons on the Borgia Popes. Yeah. 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 Um, so aconitums, look, where I am, um, I grow them with an afternoon shade because otherwise the beautiful sort of deep lush green foliage bleaches a bit and mm. so do the flowers. Um, so the, most of them have these amazing... Uh, deep blue sort of little monkshood-looking flowers, which is in a raceme at the top of a stem, and they can get up to a metre, metre and a half tall. But Delphinifolium that Craig's brought me in has very serrated, beautiful, um, it's quite delicate foliage, and I lost mine years ago, So, and Craig's generously given me back another one. It, so. it was at, at Gentiana when I bought the place, yeah. so it's been there for a long time. Yeah. And it, it it differs from the others in that it's a spring flower. Yeah, whereas the others are summer. Summer um, or autumn, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so even Carmichael Eye that I've got flowers into March. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're fantastic things for a perennial border. Mm-hmm. And um, the only other thing with aconitums is that the main one will die and it provides offsets, so it's a bit like the grandmother and mother and, mm-hmm. and things. Yeah, um, tuberous perennials. Yeah, so... Again, when Craig was talking about that things need to be dug and divided, so when you notice that your monkshoods are looking a little bit sad as well, mm-hmm. that's the time that they should be dug and divided and mm-hmm. things. Um, they like a, a moist position but well-drained. Yep, and um, as much sun as you dare to give them. It, yeah, yeah. I think you would have better luck up on the top of the hill than mm-hmm. where I do with growing it out in full sun because it's mm. out on the um, It's on the nature strip, strip, yeah. Yeah, we shouldn't tell people that, should we? But, um. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they, they put their life at risk if they come and dig them up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, 
right now. I've lost train. <laughs> well, look for for people that don't know the plant. You two will probably start throwing things at me now that our perspex screens it's have been removed here. and the thing. But um, the, to me, they sort of have a bit of a look of foxgloves. So mm-hmm. the digitalis, just yeah. the the the, yep. t- the tall, um, very sort of prominent flower. Yeah. Um, which uh, yeah, but almost has a bit of a sweet pea quality to it as well. Yeah. So yeah. And, and a similar a similar impact following ingestion. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, okay. And that is the uh, And is that the flower or the root or the root. all of it? All, all of it, it is it? All of it. So it's one of those really poisonous ones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very. But every well, you know, like a, I had them in the floral display that we had at the Melbourne Flower Show and um, someone came up to me and said, how can you be selling those? They're so poisonous. And I'm like, so is a daffodil. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so, so many. Yep. Yeah, and so and many a digitalis. Plants. And, yeah. a, you know. Um, that must it, follow through to native plants too, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, think of all the plants. I mean, you just don't want to go out and eat things. And we don't. No, if, we don't. If you don't know yeah. what they are. So. Yeah. so, you know, and there is a warning on our labels that says, you know, um, we are incredibly beautiful but incredibly toxic too. Uh, and a lot of a lot of these amazing um, plants that have a high toxicity are so gorgeous mm-hmm. as well and, and have a place in a garden. You're not going to put it in your salad. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, what plants that we have in our garden do we put in our salad? So I just always find the, the label warnings to be – Almost superfluous in a yeah. way. Absolutely, because, I'm with you. I mean, it's ridiculous when you think uh, about it. There's, mm. there's so many plants that are poisonous that you'd have more labels warning about poisonous plants than mm. you would if, yeah, anyway. Rhododendron. Yeah. Rhododendron, mm. yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, aconitums uh, mm-hmm. and pleonies. Uh, just back to Cheryl's, you know, um, so there will be a few ones that we're working on. Um, that will be available, we hope, next season mm-hmm. as well. So there might be a couple of new ones if she hasn't got those. The, and if I haven't answered it all, Cheryl, just give me a ring later. The most beautiful planting I have, I didn't see it live in picture of Pleone, was in Sweden and it was a big, long, dry stone wall along a driveway and every space was filled with Pleone. Yep, wow. Yeah, that's right, it was wow. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Craig, it was... Great to talk about what you spoke about earlier. So, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of love coming through. Good. So, uh, Jane, uh, James has said, wonderful to hear your discussion about Bruce Pascoe's uh, revelations in Dark Emu, a great read. I'm appalled at the reaction by the right wing of politics and their crucifixion of this author. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nicola. Uh, from Altham has said, I totally endorse what Craig has said. Dark Emu changed my way of looking at Indigenous agriculture and their sustainability. And someone else has said, which is correct, uh, FYI, there is also a young Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe aimed at the younger readers. So, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's I'm good. I'm pretty sure Karanga have that, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, so nice to have that discussion. Good. Yeah. I'm pleased. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes you sort of despair. You do, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. This and, is- and it's so frightened that the voice is not going to get up. Shaking in my shoes. It yeah. would be just be crushing for yeah. Indigenous Australia if that didn't happen. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I know from the gay marriage vote what it is to have your life voted on. Yeah, I, I do find it quite perplexing and and sad um, that it's um, even questioned. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah that yeah. It, that it even needs to be there. Yeah, and um, but then quietly 
hopeful that it'll all go through. Please. Yeah, so we're all, yeah. all here with fingers crossed. Yep. <laughs> um, all right, back to the very poisonous plant, mm-hmm. whose name I've already forgotten. What, Aconitum. Aconitum, thank you. And what species was it that Craig's brought in? Because that foliage is Delphinifolium. Delphinifolium. So it tells you yep. a bit, bit like a delphinium. Delphinium, yeah. Yep. It, it is. I mean, if you if you go walking past in a hurry, you'd think it was a delphinium. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, so Craig, no, it's quite Craig you've got those... Mm. Up the, I haven't taken the last one off you, have I? You've got those available. No, yeah, good. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm I might beat everybody as, up there. Couple as, for myself. Good. As much <laughs> as he <laughs> loves you, Jane, I don't think you'd give no, me the last. No, I mean, no. as in for the public to go up and buy more. Yeah, from yeah you know, they're so, there. Yeah. yeah. So, is that a rare plant? Yep. I suspect that I would be one of the few populations left in Australia mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. nursery. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's it's. It's fantastic that we can keep these plants in cultivation, isn't it? That's right. That's right. And and, and it is is the case with rare plants that they need to be distributed in every way possible because Mm. they'll never be um, available again. And in, like, my side of that story of of losing our entire stock of it one year Mm. um, and then for Craig to be able to give it back to Mm. me, um, which is why we share all this stuff too, Mm. you know, um, and it comes down to, you know, the, pr- the price of, the, yeah. of things that we were talking about earlier as well, that some of this rare stuff has taken Craig and I years and years till it ends up on his nursery bench or in my catalogue or whatever. And so things are priced according. So if, you, if you're paying $20, $30 for a potted plant or a potted bulb that's only got one glanthus in it, mm. um, it's, it's cheap. It's, yeah, it's ta- it's taken ages for it to get there. Yeah. Um. So just you know, bear in mind when you're mm-hmm. looking at things. Just just put it back if you don't want to. But yeah. it also comes back to the generosity of gardeners, yes. which, which continually astonishes me. Yeah. Continually. I mean, the other day I got a box at Australia Post box arriving. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, my God, somebody sent a whole box of plants back to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Open it up. No, it was an online customer who I've never met who has bought a lot of plants from me and is now sending me a box of plants for free. Oh. Right. It's just so gratifying yep. for that sort of thing to happen. I have customers like that too. Oh. Yeah. And, and then you offer to, you know, oh, I need to give you something for that. Or, no, 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 I'm That's just right. – just, Sharing yeah. the love. And, yeah, um, beautiful. Even one of my customers the other day, um, you know, she was a new customer and I said, I'll just put an invoice in for you. And she said, oh, well, send me what the total is of the invoice. I said, no, I'll put it in the box. Then when you get your plants, just do an online transfer if that's okay. She goes, oh, you're very trusting. And I said, well, 98% of gardeners are great people. Yeah, so right. you're not going to not pay me my $50 or yeah. something. Yeah. So I had a guy um, come into the nursery on Friday. He said, I owe you $20. And I said, what? <laughs> Yeah. And this was sure two, two boring? years ago or yeah. something. Yeah. Oh, how honest, isn't that? Yes. Yeah. And then you have other people coming in moaning about the price of plants. Well, they get yeah. the short shift. Yeah. <laughs> There's the gate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm writing, or I've just written a story about Saruria uh, for Gardening Australia for September issue and uh, I was chatting with uh, Guy Matthews from Protea Flora and mm-hmm. uh, th- they grow a few varieties there and uh, we were talking about um, the Ceruria Florida or the Blushing Bride mm-hmm. and this is one of the plants which is it's South African it comes from the Finbos region so that um, sort of right at the bottom of South Africa just near the Capes and um, it's actually a rare 
in the wild plant. Mm -hmm. And even though we grow it here and um, it is uh, a a popular plant with um, those uh, deciding to tie the knot and photographers and florists, etc. It's, yeah, it's one of the ones which is rare in the wild. Mm. Um, But it's... From over-collecting or...? From, I'll tell you what it is. So these, they're small shrubs to maybe about a metre tall and Mm. uh, they obviously flower, fruit, um, seed, drop the seed, the ants take the seed. So they're one of the, in the Proteaceae family and one of the few Proteaceae that's uh, pollinated by insects rather than birds. And, uh, but then after pollination, the ants take the seeds into their underground tunnels and uh, bushfire comes through and wipes out uh, the parent plant. And then new ones after fire, you know, like a lot of um, Australian ecology, um, the seeds are um, triggered into germinating after fire. And so new bushes grow from the um, seeds that ants have taken underground. And But the problem is with an increase in bushfires uh, due to climate change, uh, they're wiping out the seedlings before they're mature enough to flower and produce seeds. So... Um, and Saruri apparently, um, according to Guy, they're one of the genus. So there's 50 species in the genus and uh, they're quite hard to keep alive essentially in cultivation because they come from this region that on rocky mountain slopes, um, um, granite-derived really sort of sandy soil and um, so they're quite susceptible to Phytophthora and mm. Botrytis and things like that. And um, But he was saying we grow them here in Australia really well because we have such good potting mix and we have such a high quality of consistently good potting mix mm-hmm. that we're actually able to grow these plants here. So it's he was saying even in South Africa they have trouble growing them there and um, Florida, et cetera, where they sort of grow similar type plants. Uh, so it's nice to know that we are doing doing, doing the right thing by growing yeah. some more rare plants. And so these things are really pot grown. Yeah, and and unless you have really well drained sandy soil, yeah. mm-hmm. he says, grow them all in pots, and mm. you know you'll get eight ten years out of them. Um, and they're just oh, do you know them? Yeah, I do. The, the yeah. blushing bride, and and they yeah. they're just gorgeous, yeah. and they also grow um, the philocoides, so Ceruria philocoides, I think it's called raspberry ripple, and a hybrid of rosea and Florida, um, which is pretty in pink, and and I also came across a uh, Brisbane nursery who grows. Um, Another species which is suitable for the subtropics, so these are more sort of suitable for mm-hmm. warm-temperate warm areas and don't really like that sort of um, summer rainfall. But, yeah, there's another species that, that grows up there quite well. So. I just paid a deposit for a trip to that region. Oh, oh to the Finbos? From, from Cape Town right around and up the west coast to Botswana. Oh. oh. oh so excited. Can I carry you back? <laughs> you can come with me. <laughs> Are you doing a tour, Craig? Yeah, 17 yeah. people, mm. oh. t- two trucks. Wow. Oh, that's yeah. perfect, isn't yeah. it? There's not too many people. Yeah. Well, I couldn't do it on my own. I mean, I could have 20 years ago, but not yeah. now. And is it a wildflower tour? Um, no, not. Tour. But, but you know you know what gardeners are like. What time I, of year Every are you opportunity going, you botanise. What time of year are you going? September, next year. Okay. 
Beautiful. Yeah. There'll be some good stuff. Not expensive. So, it, you'll still see Romulayas and um, Sonias and... Of course. Um, we're talking it, it, about, you know, things that are endangered now in South Africa. I had a email from a young lady who's doing a horticultural degree in South Africa and they're looking into Morea Aristata, the common peacock iris, as they, the white with the beautiful blue. So Moreas are in the Iridaceae mm. family. And that's critically endangered in mm. South Africa now. It's only occurring in one spot. So because we have it on our list, she contacted me saying, you know, do you know where your original stock came from? Because they're trying to find a different clone as such to be able to cross-pollinate with their stock um, so that they can save this mm-hmm. in the wild. Mm. So, you know, as much as, you know, Craig and I are growing a lot of exotics and things like that, if you can preserve something, um, I, I think that's our biggest gift to mm. horticulture too, you know. So to answer your question, Jane, one of the pictures of the, the tour brochure is an onyx, you know, those oh, antelope. Yeah. But, but it's, it's standing in a sea of wildflowers. Mm. And I'm sort of thinking, well, the onyx is nice, but hang on. <laughs> hang on. What's, what's underneath he, What's he munching on it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, how exciting. I'm so pleased for you. That's mm-hmm. great. And, yeah. and what inspired you to travel there? Okavango Delta, mm-hmm. been on my bucket list for my whole life yep. since I was a kid. Yeah. Wow. Well, you'll have lots of stories to tell. I will, yeah. Sounds good. So anything particular you're looking forward to, any particular plant? Um, plants, a big herd of elephants mm-hmm. will be something to see. <laughs> yeah. And, and in Zimbabwe, we're doing a walk to see rhinoceros on foot. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, if the rhinoceros kills me, well, what a way to go. <laughs> yeah. You've died happy, love. <laughs> yes. yeah. You'll die in a yeah. sea of wildflowers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With plants, I think, what, what's, what are those those bulbs with the, in the rear and the karoo with phenomenally long leaves? Oh, like the Brunsvidia or Buffonis. Yeah. Or, That's right. Yeah, That's what those. I want to yeah. see. Yeah. You know, they're hundreds of years old. Yeah. yeah, go on. Send me a photo of you sitting amongst <laughs> yeah. them. Great. Yeah. Jane yeah. will self-combust. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'd just love to see him that happy. It'd be great. So with that um, um, plant that you were talking about, did you have something that was different that you could supply? Um, Yet to know whether it's different to theirs, trying to work out where our original stock came from. And it would have been a seed company in South Africa um, as well. Silver Hill or one of those. It would have probably been Silver Hill. But Dad used to get a lot of seed from um, other smaller places before sort of Silver Hill became the place mm-hmm. to get your South African seed from. Um, so, but we will try and set some seed and send that back anyway. Yeah, At least um, they can try their best from there. Yeah. Um, Re-establish a population. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Mm. Wouldn't and, it be? Yeah. And that is because of farming and... Yeah, agriculture um, and... Yeah, population growth and, and humanity rather than... A climate change issue of yep. what you were talking yep. about before. But, yeah. Um, well, and ironically, one of the issues is invasive plants um, with uh, eucalypts, Australian eucalypts and mm-hmm. wattles um, taking over the, the area, mm-hmm. which um, as much as we love our plants here, they are can be weedy. All over the world. Mm. Yep. Banned in Portugal now, apparently, eucalypts. Oh. Uh, because of their... Um, their, their um, Combustibility. Okay. Mm. Yep. 
And yeah. the tenacity, I suppose. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's an understatement, Surviving, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, this is the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop and I'm having a wonderful, wonderful chat with Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulbs and Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery. So um, if you'd like to ask a question, feel free to text us for the time being on 0488 809 Eight double five, and um, I'll do my best to interrupt this very interesting discussion to answer someone's questions. But uh, we might not. We might not exactly. <laughs> Probably not, but we might if we feel kind. Jane, yeah. let's um, talk about one of your oh, amazing I don't know. plants. Um, well, Craig and I both bought galanthus in, so let's um, talk about galanthus. Yeah. Now, um, when we say galanthus, we use the word snowdrop as well, as opposed to snowflakes that people might know, which, I also, flaky. which I also have in front of me. So yeah. I'm going to show AB. So snowflake and yep. then oop, oh, snowdrop. Yes. Yep. Okay, so the common snowflakes, um, uh, you know, on a, on a long stem like a daffodil and they have this beautiful little hanging white petticoaty type flower with little green tips on the outside. And That's, nice selected forms. There are some nice yes, selected forms. Um, yeah. there's some great, and they're very easy, like a daffodil. Just stick them in the ground. Don't have to do anything to them. They'll come up and down each year. Mm-hmm. Um, easy peasy. But opposed to them is the fabulous genus of Galanthus, so the proper snowdrops. Now, the famous English one is Galanthus novalis, which I think Craig's got a little one off. Now, typically they're white with three outer petals and three joined inner petals. Um, And if anyone ever watched the Gardening Australia uh, episode with Mum and I and Mum talking about the Galanthus in the sunshine with the little skirt and showing her frilly knickers go and have a, have a have a look and watch that I thought it would end up on the cutting room floor but it didn't so there's mum talking about knickers uh, morning mum um and so they're pure white um petals basically like it's it's a snow white color that heralds sort of winter so they flower all the way through the, the winter. There are some autumn flowering ones as well, but all the way through the winter into the spring. Um, basically native to um, Turkey, around the Black Sea, the Caucasus. Um, Mediterranean, Mediterranean Basin. Mediterranean Basin, those sort of places. And, yes, they do enjoy a cold winter, so anyone sort of Sydney and things like that know. Um, but I do have people that are in Footscray um, that down here that are growing them quite successfully in mm-hmm. Melbourne gardens and things. So don't be afraid to try a galanthus, yeah. I think. I've seen them naturalised in the garden in Camberwell. Yep. Big drifts of them. Yeah. Elwesii, but, you know, mm. still, still galanthus. Yeah. And um, so we sell Elwesii hybrids, which are a cross between... Um, Awisii and Placatus, and there is some sort of Novalis sort of looking ones in there. Um, so it creates a vigorous hybrid that is mm-hmm. a lot easier for people to grow downtown rather than up in the hills where we are. Um, a lot of them have this beautiful honey scent mm-hmm. as well. Um, and Craig's got a couple of different ones that you might talk about the doubles, Craig. Look, double's always a thing that I've always been a bit <laughs> about. A lot of doubles I don't like, but there is something very formal about a double galanthus, which, yep. which is appealing, and lots of green on the inner petals. Mm. Now, this, the one I'm holding in my hand is Ophelia 
But there are a number of different forms of, yeah. And yeah. I should just say it's only double on the inner petals. In the inner not petals. On the outer. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. So you've got to turn it up. They're, they're a bit like a hellebore in that you have to turn the flower over to, <laughs> to appreciate have a little lie on the ground. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah. There, there's nothing wrong with laying down in amongst your galanthus. No. <laughs> if you're lucky to have so many. <laughs> well, I could make snow angels in some of mine. Um, but, you know, and Craig's also got one of the, the yellows, um, which has a yellow markings on the inner skirt and on the um, seed, top, capsule. seed capsule. <laughs> that'll do, won't it? Yeah, that'll do, at the top. Yeah. And these are the, the galanthus that are worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So if you go into a nursery and you, you're buying the yellow that Craig's got is Spindlestone Surprise, and if, if it's got $30 on it, that's, it's still cheap. Um, because they're rare in Australia. Um, and it just takes so long to it increase does. them. Yeah, they, they don't in- – can you show AB the yellow one? Um, you know, it, so to go and buy a pot of Galanthus and don't just don't expect to buy them for $4 or something, it, it's mm. just not going to happen. It takes a long time to build up stocks of things and – seed and stuff so but our sylvan vale hybrids have got a lot of variation in them i've brought a few into um show craig there's a you know some of them have green on the outer petals and things and then um of course i'm very jealous i mean i just look at them and think i want so they, these are these <laughs> they are, are beautiful so if you were to order our sylvan vale hybrids in the summer when they're dormant ab mm-hmm. you would get uh, variation. What is extraordinary about the, the the Galanthus that Jane's breeding is the length of the petals. Yep, they're quite long. They're really long. Yeah, yeah. like little helicopters. Yeah. But um, and and do you do that just via selection? Um, well, basically, nature does it itself. So mm-hmm. we have this this main stock that the bees do their thing and cross pollinate. And each year, it's fun to go and walk around through the stock and go, oh, I really like that one, mm-hmm. um, and select them out. Um, and then, you know, eventually, if they're worth naming, we can name them. But there's so many Galanthus named now, it's mm. it's getting a little bit insane. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, like new ones that come onto the market in England can go for thousands of pounds. Gosh. Like for yeah. one bowl. Tulip mania. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah it's it's incredible. And I'm, I'm assuming that these Alwesi hybrids are tall too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, some of them, you know, some of the little ones. You know, okay. there's some small ones in amongst mm-hmm. as well. Um, uh, so position, you know, a good, rich humus soil. Um, They're is woodlanders, great. aren't Wood, they? Yeah, a woodlandy type mix. So uh, in a pot, they don't particularly do well in pots full time. Mm-hmm. So if you're buying in a pot, as in that you because you're buying it at the time, once it goes dormant, just pop them out into a nice afternoon shady woodland spot. Mm. Um, they just don't really like potting mix the i think it's the pine bark and stuff in potting mixes yeah. that i find they don't like mm-hmm. and, so, and getting the, the 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 moisture levels right over, yeah. the, over the dormancy yeah yeah they can just sort of shrivel up in the pot mm. um now you know i know craig will vouch for digging them in the green but i don't um, mm. <laughs> and there's a few people sort of um deciding that you know you can do either way, which sort of gives you a, a double chance. At, mm-hmm. um, but there's not a lot of nurseries in Australia that, that sell Galanthus. So um, there's a gentleman up in New South Wales um, and another lady in New South Wales and then probably Craig and I, I think. Yeah. Um, the LW size is available a bit from the big commercial bulb 
but but yeah. So are they a plant which is mostly suited to cool, cool temperate, warm temperate? Yeah, at the max. Um, you know, Tassie, bit of South Australia. There's a couple of you know some nice hilly areas through Western Australia that they are doing okay with. I've heard from customers and things along um, the dividing range. Yeah, maybe. up yeah. in the mountains yeah. and all that. But I have a customer in Toowoomba that buys as many as I can sell her. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, but she's yeah, in the hills. Yeah, 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 in the hills. So, yes, it is. It is that sort of woodland aspect that mm. you need and food. So again, um, I plant with blood and bone when I plant stock back each summer and then we top dress during their growing season with organic plus as well um, and they're from areas where they enjoy a more alkaline soil so dolomite. garden garden lime or dolomite or something like that mm. added in when you're planting out is always best um, but yeah definitely a sort of afternoon shady spot down in Melbourne if you can mm-hmm. but and- people Yep. Right. And at the, at the risk of sounding like a stuck record, get the bulbs in deep. Yes, yep. Where, where, where the soil temperature is consistent. Yep, so that's sort of two inches down, yep. is what Craig's saying. Um, I'd put at, them a bit deeper than yeah. that. And but, it's yeah. the whole thing about, um, you know, learning to adapt to climate change as well. So we're going to end up having to probably plant bulbs a lot deeper than what we're doing mm-hmm. now, Craig. Um, because it's keeping that soil temperature more consistent around rather than hot, cold, hot, cold, mm. which they don't particularly like. Mm-hmm. So It always astonishes me how deep they can go mm. and still push through. Yeah, because you can dig them in the green and um, below the surface, the, the bulb can be sort of six inches down. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another reason, you know, digging in the green is very hard because then when you snap them off, it's not good. No. <laughs> No, that causes bad language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you offer the doubles and stuff up at the nursery too? Every now and again. Yeah, because it takes so long. Yeah, to, and, and, you, yeah. and you have to preserve your stock. Yeah. And you have to be able to enjoy the ones that you have. have. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I would say also to mulch. Yeah. Yep. Then they'll push through quite a thick mulch without any difficulty at all. Yeah, they're, they're robust little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they are this thing that you can leave in year after year. You don't mm-hmm. just give it a top dress, fresh mulch, whatever. Um, you don't you don't have to dig them every year and put them in the fridge or anything. They, they just do their thing. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, you know, winter dreary days and stuff and there's this just these beautiful little dancing snow white angels that uh, just make your day feel better, I think. Mm, they are mm. one of the delicacies of winter. Mm. Which yeah. I'm sure our cockies would see and come along and they do. snip snap, them all snap, off. Snap. Yeah. They, they do that at home too. But, you know, the cockies are native birds and we yeah. just have to wear I don't, it. I don't yep. have a lot of trouble with the cockatoos with galanthus out in the paddock. Mm-hmm. I do with brand new shoots on peonies and things like that. They, mm. Mm, it seems to be that time of October, November that the cockies sort of come to my house. They did all my Wendy's gold last year. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> naughty, naughty birds. Very kind of <laughs> oh, and Wendy's gold is one of <laughs> one of the yellow galanthus. Yeah. That's, um, it's a placatus, Wendy's gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is rarer than rocking horse. Something. And, yep. and, and not only that, is that they pulled out quite a number of the bulbs and just snip. Oh. Yeah. See, then I would have been fetaling on the ground, I think. But, um. they're, they're very adept at digging up bulbs, aren't they? They are. Just, yeah, they yeah, are. But like I say, they're native birds and you've just got to wear suck it. Suck it up. Well, that's suck why it we, up, yeah. that's we right. We had to put the, the netting down over the end of the 
greenhouses mm-hmm. because the cockies were flying in. Like it, the greenhouse is sort of 60 foot long. Um, and they, they flew into the middle and got into my Fritillaria pellidiflora. Oh, uh, <laughs> I see now Craig laughs at me. Well, suffer to your Wendy's yeah, gold yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're very mischievous. And I, I got out there the morning and I'm like, oh my. And it was going to be the first time that I'd sort of flowered this pot of it and they were, they just nipped them off and straight into the persica next door. So. Through my tears, um, yeah. the only, only way my darling partner knows is, well, how can I fix this? She's crying. Yeah. Um, so we put up netting on the ends mm. that we can just sort of lift up and down. So when people come for the greenhouse walk, be prepared that you've got to lift netting yeah. and yeah. underneath them. But, you know, it may be that at the end of the day the cockatoos are more valuable than the bulbs. So. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Still don't agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the yellow tail. I love them. The yellow, the, the, the black cockatoos, yeah. yep, yeah. welcome anytime. Yeah. But, but they're so yeah. naughty. Yeah. I mean, what, what bird can be so oh, naughty? I call yeah. them the teenagers of the bush. That's oh, yeah. right. Because yeah. they're, just, they're so they cheeky. Don't you can't, you can't, yeah. They don't care. You can't help but love them. Yeah. Um, yeah there's and they look at you and the crest comes up and they tip their head on one side yeah. and they laugh at you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, All right, well, look, this is a 3CR Garden Show. Um, We're all getting very carried away talking about bulbs and bird show. Um, If you want to ring in and ask a question, um, it's uh, quite possible now. You can call us on 9419-0155, 9419-0155, or you can text us on 0488-809-855. A couple of texts have come through. Um, hi, gardeners. Thank you for another inspiring show, particularly the heartfelt dark emu slash voice support. Um, and, uh, yes, Janine would like to know our email address, which is 3cr.gardening at gmail.com. And someone else has sent a message in saying today is the Cranbourne Botanic Garden plant sale day two. 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Nursery is open Thursday mornings from 10 a.m. till midday also. But, uh, yeah, so the uh, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens plant sale on today from 10 till 4. So head down and get your native seedlings. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Um, Can I do a community announcement? Oh, all right, Jane. Sorry. Sorry. Why are you apologising? I don't know. <laughs> she said no apologising outside of the show. Well, she might have gone, no, we're talking about plants. But anyway, just, just want to quickly mention um, the Alpine Garden Society of Victoria are having the Collector's Garden Conference uh, and it's on the 23rd of September this year and it runs from 8am till 5pm. Um, and basically it's from wild places into cultivation and... They've actually got a international speaker from the Edinburgh Botanic Gardens, John Mitchell, coming out, and he would be doing a couple of talks in the morning session and then joining a panel discussion. Um, so there will be also a discussion on the 15 must-have rarities available in Australia, and that will be my dear friend and magical horticulturist next to me, Craig Wilson, um, Matt Reed from Antique Perennials, who is a wealth of knowledge, and little old me. Um, so we have to come up with five different rarities to each to talk oh, about, I think. It's only five each, is it? It's only five each, oh, that's yes. Great. So, yeah. I think it was 15 each. <laughs> no, I think it's of... only five each. <laughs> uh, so the program runs, it's up at the Sky High mm-hmm. um, 
restaurant up there and it starts at 8am, there will be plant sales. So when you're doing your registration, the Alpine Garden Society will be selling plants. So there's all the um, talks and things and discussions in the morning session and in the afternoon there's these amazing afternoon workshops that you can go and do. Um, Craig will be having one at two at his uh, nursery and Matt Reed will be there with him talking about how to design a perennial garden. You, know, you buy right? the plant and you walk around your garden and you think, where the hell am I going to put this? <laughs> so that's basically <laughs> what you're going to get there. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's how to build a uh, crevice garden, which is, you know, uh, intrinsical to uh, alpine growing and things. But the crevice garden one will be really good and, and you yep. could count on half a hand the number of people that can do a good crevice, crevice garden, garden in yeah. Australia. And then go and have a look at it. Yeah. Oh, go Alan yeah. Ayton. Look yeah. up Alan Ayton on um, Instagram. Yeah. Exceptional at yeah. what he does and his craft in alpines and he mm-hmm. will be doing the planting of the trough and crevice garden thing mm. too. Um, we're offering tours at the farm that afternoon and... Viv Condon, who is an amazing gardener and horticulturalist, is opening her garden for the afternoon She also has as a wonderful well. crevice garden. Yes, she does. Yeah. An amazing Galanthus collection. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anyone wants to have a look and book that, it's agsvicgroup.org. And the early bird tickets close on the 30th of this month. So to get in for... Uh, members, it's $95, but all your lunch and morning tea and all these speakers and stuff is included, um, and it's 125 for non-members. And then after that, the price does jump up a bit. So everybody in before the 30th of um, this month. So it's for the 23rd of September, and it's an entire day. And, and I think you can watch it online if you can. Yes, I think you can zoom into the make it in things person. Yeah. in the morning. So all that information is on the website. Um, there is also Russell Larkey, and I'm sorry if I've pronounced your name wrong, Russell. He's from um, the Cranburn Bot Gardens where they grow a lot of alpines at low altitude. So he would be an interesting person to listen to yeah. um, as well. So he's part of the presentation too. So heaps to come and listen to. Sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of the crevice garden. Mm. The crevice gardens uh, originated in Czechoslovakia, and Czechoslovakia mm-hmm. is a nation of gardeners. Um, and their crevice gardens are extraordinary. And, and they'll have, you know, some Czech gardeners will build a crevice garden only for the genus Daphne. Mm. Yeah. So mm. they really are very, very clever gardeners. They're very, very popular in yeah. Europe and yeah. things. So I, I just think it's a, it's a different way of appreciating um, some of these things that come from alpine situations where they're basically growing in rocky scree and things, yeah. um, you know. And some of them, you know, in places like Iran, say, for, for example, Draba, there will mm. be one rock mm. with, a, with a, a species on it. Mm-hmm. And that's it in the world. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. No, sounds, yeah. sounds good. All right. Well, let's go to Sharon in Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Oh, good morning. Uh, look, this is um, a question that's been in the back of my mind for ages. I've got quite a few acacias growing um, that I've planted. Um, and, of course, they've got leggy. And, and um, Now, I've always had the opinion that they don't do well with pruning, that they just have a limited lifespan. But for the Snowy River Wattle, now, I was told by a council gardener that that was the one that would prune quite well. So I'm all really lost as to what to do, whether to pull out. I've got a very nice um, 
knife edge waffle, which is about four years old, and I'd say all the bottom limbs have now died. Uh, I, I don't know what to do. Um, how old are they, Sharon? Well, the Snowy River waffles um, could be five years old. Mm-hmm. I, I grew it from seed, actually. Um, but the Celtic formants, the knife edge waffle, I'd say is um, I'm four years old, maybe. But I just don't quite know whether... I had a tree fellow come out and he said, oh, no, we won't cut that down, we'll just trim it up. And I thought, well, am I going to trim it up and then it's going to die anyway in two years' time? Like, sort of, um, might be better to whip it out, totally put something new in. Um, so you're wanting to prune it because it's looking leggy? Uh, yes, it looks pretty dreadful. Okay. Um, I mean, the it's first got a thing. Lot of dead. Okay. Yeah. I mean, dead. waddles. Yeah. Generally speaking, they are shorter lived, but it's all relative, I suppose. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of them live a long time. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily go straight to whipping it out. I mean, sometimes it is about looking at things with new eyes. And um, do, does it matter if it is leggy? Um, or, I mean, if it is looking really, really average, can you prune it? I mean, I would be relatively hesitant, um, depending on its size, of course. I'm not going to prune well into older wood. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's a case for certainly tip pruning when they're young, but um, yeah, I guess yeah. we're sort of a bit past that point at five years because wattles are one of the really fast-growing species, uh, fast-growing genus. Yeah, um, and be three metres tall, um, the uh, knife-edge wattle, it's quite big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So any thoughts? My, my, my view of acacia is if you, if you want to prune them, it's a little bit soft and... Yeah. They don't yeah. like a hard they, prune. They don't like a hard prune. That's no. why it is yeah. good to get yeah. them when they're young. You need to start yeah. them when you plant them. And I mean, my friend Shirley Khan used to chop them in half before she put them in the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's probably what I would feel too, and that's mm. what I haven't done. Now, that's good. Thank you, Craig. But um, the council fellow did say, oh, the Snowy River wattles are quite exceptional. They can be pruned a lot better than the others, which... Uh, Look, I I have the um, sort of philosophy with gardening. If something isn't doing what I wanted to do, it's not particularly rare or anything like that, um, I will hack things. Um, and then hope for the best. And then if they come back, fantastic. Mm-hmm. If if they don't, then it's no big deal to go out and get another one. Yeah. And if yeah. the garden's your space, you don't like something, chuck it out and put something you do like in. Yeah. Yeah, I just, it, of all the times, it's flowering, you know, it's looking really quite good, except for the lower limbs at the moment, and of course I feel really bad. But, uh, yeah, thank you for that. I think um, it's sort of cemented in my mind what I vaguely thinking. Yeah, good. Thank all, right. You. all right, good on you, Sharon. Thanks a lot. Bye Thanks. for now. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be tricky with waddles. And, I mean, it can be tricky with anything if you've, mm. if you've missed that initial pruning and, and the, the formation, I suppose, of um, a well-shaped plant. And then, uh, I mean, I also I plant things and I'm 
so excited when they grow that I tend not to prune maybe as much as I should mm-hmm. um, and you can regret it later. But then, again, we we are quite obsessed with things being dense. And neat. And, and neat rather than, I mean, just allowing a plant to be see-through, for example, and, and be a little bit leggy and grow something underneath. That's, um, yeah. But, you know, I had Acacia cognata bonsai. When I say had, it's still very much alive. That I inherited from a friend of mine who started it in the mid seventies. I had it for many years, and it got a bit heavy for me, so I passed it on to someone younger. Mm-hmm. Still going strong, yeah, yeah. So, that, so I mean, yeah, and that's pruning. That's pruning roots and foliage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the that's roots is really smelly. Yeah. Yeah. The roots is a really smelly job. <laughs> yeah. How how come? Because they, the roots smell. Okay. It's a sort of sulphur smell. All right. Did yeah. not know that. Yeah. All right. Someone has texted in to say, hi, my foxgloves are growing a huge amount of leaves. Mm-hmm. Is that Great. normal in yep. advice? That's what you do at this time of the year. Perfectly and, normal. And in spring, the, 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 this big spikele spike erupt out of all those leaves. Mm-hmm. Celebrate it. Celebrate yep. it. The yep. biggest yep. better. It's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Not, not a bad thing. Feed it. Yep, love it. Mm. All right. Let's talk more plants. Fermi is very much appreciating the uh, Craig and Jane bulb talk. Oh, good. Good morning, Fermi. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm going to talk about a little crocus to start with and then we're going to do Craig's beautiful cyclamen. Um, (coughs) So I tend to like to grow um, the species crocus in the genus um, and a lot of them that are sort of autumn through into the winter – And one of the ones I've got here today is Crocus rodensis. So from the Greek islands of Rhodes, which sadly are um, in the middle of a massive bushfire at the moment. So Mm. our hearts go out to anyone that's got rallies in Rhodes. Mm -hmm. Um, So this little crocus used to be in Biflorus, but the esteemed um, crocus god Janus Ruxans um, discovered back in the early 2000s that um, it was indeed a complete species on its own. Um, so it is Crocus rodensis and it is a white crocus bloom, but it has this amazing black feathering, so striping on the outer three petals. I'm just going to show AB because she's looking amazing. at me really quizzically. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and it has this delightful honey scent as well. Um, but the thing that sort of distinguished it for Janus um, when he was working at the Gothenburg Gardens was that it had black anthers. Mm -hmm. So it starts off with the anthers are black before the pollen dehisses. um, So pretty amazing looking little crocus. Um, Crocus are perfect for your crevice garden. Yes. Um, So and for pop culture as well because they are cute, but they're great in a garden um, rockery sort of situation as well. Um, I think Craig's got quite a few crocus out the front. I do. I have a few crocus in, 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 in yeah. the garden, yeah. Um, but there's some amazing – you don't have to just go for the big Vernus um, Dutch cultivars like Pickwick and all of those that mm. – They don't you know, live very long and and boring. Um, do you have them long? I don't, don't bother to grow them. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm snobby when it comes to bulbs. You're a crocus snob. <laughs> yeah, I am a crocus snob. Um, so delightful little rodensis um, that's probably not available in Australia anywhere, mm-hmm. but eventually – We'll, we will, won't we, Craig? Um, but and they're so, so fleeting. Yeah, that's what I love about them. You, you know, you really have, have to be on the ball. Maybe. 
Yeah. Um, so it it's looking a little bit sad because I had the heater on A to keep me warm and B to open up the crocus and the um, romulea I brought in. Um, so crocus need a really well-drained um, situation as well. So crevice gardens and that are perfect for this. Um, or if you're doing pot, make sure you're mixing in quite a bit of perlite or gravel or something into the mix to give it some drainage. Um, most of them are dormant over the summer, so our hot summers, you know... Don't too bother them too much. Don't really bother them. Move them somewhere sort of cool and dry for the summer if they're in a pot. Um, because a lot of people sort of say to me, oh, but then the pot's empty and I don't want to look at it. And we'll move it. Mm-hmm. You know? And pretty much that whole Mediterranean basin's mm-hmm. limestone. Yeah, yeah. So, so dolomite. Yeah, if you're planting a crocus, dolomite, mm-hmm. you know, is generally... I haven't met one that doesn't like it mm-hmm. yet. So mm-hmm. um, there is some amazing crocus species out there that you can look into, you know. Exquisite. Um, yeah. Exquisite, yeah. And, you know, there's the, the typical saffron one that flowers in the, in the autumn, which is... Fabulous plant too. And, and, and then there's ones like Speciosus or Thomasomanius mm. that, that yeah. naturalise and seed all over the place right. and you, know, you can yeah. get them going in your lawn. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh, how dreadful would that be? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, crocus anyway. So, Beautiful. good morning, Fermi. I've talked about a crocus. <laughs> yeah. Now, Craig's turn. All right, I'll just quickly <laughs> oh, interrupt. Um, George from Thornbury has messaged in to say, where can I source a Rosa chinensis viridiflora? In Melbourne, and I've just done a quick search for you, George, and they're readily available. Ross Roses have got them, Wagners have got them, and Knights have got them. So if you hop online and do a search for exactly that, you will find lots of places where you can get them. Okie dokie. Cyclamen libanoticum, which is, you know, one of the winter flowers, winter, early spring. It is almost extinct in the wild, Mm -hmm. I think. Yep. it is painfully slow. Mm-hmm. I've, I've sort of been working on a little drift for 25 years and starting to get the look. Yep. Yep. Well, what you find with the cyclamen is, is, is that when they, you know, the little seed capsules coil up and sit down on top of the corm and that's where the seedlings happen. Mm-hmm. So you get a whole little nest of them sitting on top of the corm and you need to get in there with a knife. And pull them out and distribute them. Yep. That's how you make a drift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's excellent. <laughs> I, I, I just like the idea of Libanoticum in a drift. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know how you two remember to do all these things. We don't really. Like, we're just, it's, we're f- it's all I can it. do mm-hmm. to <laughs> move a, a pot of something that's died down intentionally. Libanoticum um, is quite oh, sparse in its foliage. Yep. So you don't get a whole heap of leaves. Uh, conversely, the flowers are big. Mm. Yeah. And so ama- amazing colour. It goes from around the um, the base of the flower is this deep magenta that moves into icy white through soft pink. And one of the biggest flowered um, species. So, yeah, species, other than yep. persicums mm. and things. Uh, but it's absolutely beautiful. And the leaf patterning is amazing. Mm-hmm. And the back Slightly of the leaf variegated. is, is yeah. deep purple. But as Craig said, they, they usually only put up one or two leaves. Mm-hmm. And they're quite lanky, the leaves. They don't sit in a nice rosette like a lot of mm. the hedrofoliums and cooms and things do. It's, it's quite a lanky um, leaf. But 
an amazing cyclamen that is, yeah, as Craig said, it is critically endangered. So what he is doing is amazing. I take my hat off to you, my friend. So, 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 what, so the drift that I'm establishing is in partial shade. And, and last year I moved two or three corms out into the sun and realised that I'd made a fundamental error and I should have put them in the sun. Mm. Like a grey cum and things like that. Going that, really well. Yeah, that like it a little bit warmer, whereas your cooms and things... They're uh, definite woodlanders. Yeah, like mm. the afternoon shade and things. So, yeah. again, it's um, reading up about things and trying to replicate where it comes from and knowing, you know, just because the, the genus might be, say it's basically woodlandery, mm-hmm. there will be exceptions within any genus that... Um, you need to sort of modify your conditions for. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you have the image of these things growing under cedar of Lebanon and mm. oaks and things. Yeah. In the and, that, and that's the problem with the the cedar forest is the deforestation and things, and that's what's happening to the cyclamen. Mm. So. Um, I think they've been collected too. Mm. Mm. Do you possible. sell them, Craig? Yes, plenty. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Easy, and and, easy I'm, and I'm sorry, seed. that will be an expensive one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Like, Relatively. Can, easy just, easy yeah. from seed, yeah. slow, slow to develop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It would take from seed to flower them five years. Yep. Yeah. And Where you it, both do ma- mail order, don't you? We do. Yeah. We do. Yeah, yeah. we do. Mail order's good. Mm. Yeah, it's opened up, uh, opened up doors for a lot of yeah. gardeners around yeah. the place. And the exciting yeah. thing is we're going to reopen the nursery, A.B., you are. Alarm bells. Yep. Retail? Yep. Yep. Oh, well, tell me when. I'll be down there with enough. my card. <laughs> Jane, obviously wasn't busy enough. Um, no, it wasn't. I, now it's sort of tripled the amount of planting and stuff now because you've got to get all this stock, stock in pots and Potted, stuff, as, yeah. as yep. Craig would know. Yeah, I do. Um, it's never going to be huge. Um, so for those people that drive in and go, is that it? They might be showing the gate too because I was yeah, learning a lot right. off Craig today. Um, <laughs> Embrace so, your grumpiness, Jane. Yeah, so that will be open in October. So when we do the the tours, AB, that we did for the Radiothon, mm-hmm. yeah. um, the nursery will be open then as well. So I'll keep everyone up to date on the website and things. So. Are you going to get a sign on the main road? Um, we'll have to talk to the Shire about that and hopefully, but I'm going to get a couple of those gaudy flags to put out at the yeah. end of the driveway because yeah. people get lost. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that'll be a bit exciting. So we'll open sort of four days a week. Um, yeah. Sounds good. When? October. Mm-hmm. Very good. Look yeah. forward to it. Yeah. A lot and, of work and, in the meantime. I've got to fill is, all is, those potholes in. Is this going to be a permanent arrangement? I'm or? hoping. Yeah. If it's, look, last time I, I tried it, it... it wasn't particularly successful because people can't find us. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why you need a sign on the main road. We need the road. sign on the main road. Mm. Um, so anyone that works for Yarra Ranger Shire, mm, <laughs> pull some strings for me. Yeah, I want a sign. Just a nice <laughs> <Yeah>. sign. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Okie dokie. Let's go to Robert in Mitcham. Good morning, Robert. Oh, good morning. Well, look, now we've got some bulb experts there. Yep. My grandson recently brought an old house down in the Western District and he gave me some bulbs of something that, as far as I can see, looked like what would be called a spider lily or Peruvian daffodil. Any thoughts on how I should deal with them? Okay. Um, can you describe the bulb to me? <laughs> As in that, shape? Be a no. <laughs> or size? Uh, no, they, they, they were uh, probably uh, two, two and a half, three inches. Uh, white bulb, green, green scrappy leaf. Okay, um, and you haven't flowered it yet? No, no, no. That, uh, that they, 
they sent us uh, photos of uh, the flower and uh, sort of looking, looking at some of the books we've got. That, that's what I come up with. That's quite a lily. Okay, what colour was the flower? White. White, yep. Okay, so it's probably a hymenocallus, mm-hmm. um, which they need full sun. So um, nice, well-drained, full sun position. Um, they generally flower through the summer, depending on which species you've got in the genus. Um, the most recognised one uh, worldwide is um, Cross Festalis, which is the sacred lily of the Incas. So it has a tubular white flower like a daffodil and then these beautiful long petals that um, hang down. But there's a there's a, quite a few in cultivation in that genus as well um, with those long green strappy leaves. They do go dormant over the winter. Um, so you, you haven't lost it, just leave it go. You could give I've it still a... still got leaves on it at the moment. Okay, right. Well, it may be the fact that frost sort of dies mine back a little bit more up in the hills, but... Um, yeah, so so, they need moisture until they're flowered, yeah, don't they? Um, so, you know, at least once a week during the summer um, watering. They are quite drought tolerant once established. So once you've got a clump of it going in the garden, um, you can sort of withhold water because it's usually the January rains that bring on flowers and things too. Um, but relatively easy. So just put it somewhere warm and well-drained. From the sounds of where they were, uh, they would have been well and truly drought tolerant. Yep, okay. okay. Yep, yep. Yep. And, and be very careful of South Africans in the Western District. Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, they they, they have a habit of self seeding and going ballistic. Well, I don't think there's any uh, any sign of that uh, around where they were. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Can I sneak another one in? Well, just, right. just one second. If it is um, the Ismini cross festalis in that Hymenocallus group, um, it will be infertile too. So um, thanks to Craig, you know, that we don't want it to set. That one won't set seed for okay, him. So good. that's great. Yeah. Um, no. I wish it would. It's <laughs> <laughs> an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah. and second question? Uh, we had some tulip bulbs that I think spent uh, far too long out of uh, out of the ground, uh, back in the ground, and are happily sending up shoots at the moment. I think they've probably spent uh, twelve months out of the ground. Okay. Uh, anything I should do with them to uh, possibly make them okay. grow and flower? Can I can I ask? Are they just the general Dutch hybrid tulips, or are they a species tulip? Uh, I would imagine they're just the Dutch uh, hybrid. Yep, okay. I don't know anything more about them. No, that's fine. Um, at least you've got shoots coming, um, which is yes, well done, <laughs> considering they've been out for so long. Uh, did you fertilise when you planted them? A little, but not much. Uh, I've given them a, a bit of uh, food since they started to appear shoots. Yeah, that, that's great. So you could either liquid feed now or any of the smellies like um, Organic Plus or Blood and Bone, sprinkle that around and let Mother Nature wash it in, and uh-huh. also some dolomite lime. So tulips are native to Turkey where they come from um, that more sort of alkaline limestone areas. So they enjoy a nice alkaline soil. So you could add um, some of that to it. You, I regret to tell you you won't get flowers this year because they've been out of the ground for far too long. But if you can just get them to survive, um, that's fantastic. 
Uh, Now, where you are, you may have to dig them and store them in the fridge each year over the winter. Yeah, well, I've just got them in the pot at the moment. Yeah. There you go, okay. Yeah, so when they they go dormant over the summer, tip the pot out and um, store the bulbs over the summer somewhere cool and dry in the shed and then whack them in the fridge um, about April for a month or so before you plant. There you go. Thank you again. No worries. Good on you, Robert. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Very good. Thank you. Great advice. All right. Um, someone has messaged in saying uh, we mentioned a mail order nursery. So literally, it was I just said that you guys mail plants. Yep. So that's uh, so Tonkin's ours bulbs. is www.tonkinsbulbs.com.au and Craig www.gentianonursery.com.au. Easy. Just Easy. Google Gentiana yep. Nursery yep. and it'll just come Google up. Just Google Tonkin's Bowls uh, and it yep. comes up. Uh, yep. Yep. Beautiful. But thank you for asking. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and Vicky, our friend Vicky from Notting Hill, has messaged in to say if listeners want to see last Friday's episode of Stephen Ryan's Horticulturalists um, on YouTube, they talk about various bulbs, including snowdrops. Mm-hmm. So that's terrific. And uh, someone else has said, I've long been fascinated by South African plants and bulbs and would love to observe in the wild. Can you talk about the best areas of South Africa for a gardens trip, Uh, best time to go, best way to do a trip, solo or group? I guess that depends on um, you. And how vigorous and, you are. Yeah, <laughs> and recommendations. <laughs> how much money you've got. <laughs> reliable yeah. groups to go with. Well, I mean, certainly, um, yeah, I mean, there's the, the garden route, which is sort of up the east coast Cape. From, um, from Cape Town, around there. Up to Natal. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah and, the, and the other way to the west, west. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I've um, done the... As a child, with with parents um, up up the east coast, when probably when I didn't appreciate plants as much, mm-hmm. um, in the same way I do now. Um, so, as to whether you do it yourself or with a group, uh, personally, I'd go with a group. But just from a I safety perspective, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and then through the the, the Finbos, which is both a, a region and a um, vegetation type, and um, as you were saying, Craig, up the. So West Coast as well. It depends what you. I mean, I'd the, go twice I a year. Yeah, I'd I would go have thought spring the, and autumn. The Drakensberg would be extraordinary mm. too yeah. to get up mm. high it and is, see all yeah. those gladioli species mm. and rhodohypoxis yeah. and been there as uh, a child as well, quite yeah. a few times. And okay. yeah, pre. I won't say pre-plant appreciation because I always loved plants and had that um, need to sort of be with them and explore them, etc. But I think. Um, the Drakensberg was for me as a child more about exploring and finding uh, streams to swim in, and mm-hmm. it was yeah a, a chance to be wild. It's a terrible thing yeah. you're travelling when you're young and not appreciating what you're seeing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Wish I could. Uh, but I, st- go back I now. still think you know scrambling around over rocks and enjoying oh. swimming in streams and things. You you take it. Taking a bit in. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still appreciating um, nature. But yeah, so back to the question. I, I personally would yep. go in spring and autumn, do two separate trips because of spring you, you're seeing all these Romulaea and species gladiolus and things and then in the um, autumn is when you're seeing all those big amaryllidaceas like Brunsvigias and... Um, Nereens and... Nereens and Buffonies and, um, you know, there's there's so many Brunsvigias in the genus that you, you can just see this whole field 
of mm. them in flower, which Bosmanier, which would be just amazing. But I would definitely go with a group. So do either of you know any tour companies that do the South no, African ones? I don't. That's, um, um, not maybe specifically Steve, Maybe Stephen would be one but to it, ask. It, yeah. it can't yeah. be that difficult to find out mm. in this day and age. Yeah, and mm. I mean I imagine there would be groups in South Africa where, mm. where you could fly in yeah. and, and do it. So not necessarily an Australian company travelling mm. there but a South African company. Mm. And then there's Stellenbosch and, and what's the other garden? In, in Kirstenbosch. Kirstenbosch, yep. yeah, yep. Yep. where you can see. Uh, I'm sure they'd include something like that in yeah. one of those tours yeah. too. But, yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. All right, guys, any more little plants that we're talking about? Oh, Daphne, Daphne Perfume Princess which is a hybrid between Odora and Balua, and it's the first Daphne to flower for the season, mm-hmm. and it is fantastic. That's yummy. Yeah, it is. There's a little nosegay for you. Thanks. Mm. The most sublime I, I wish perfume. listeners could uh, yeah. smell through the yeah. microphone. Yeah, and, and it, it also like yeah. it has nice foliage, really long, mm. deep green pointed leaves. And Extremely to, long for a Daphne. Yeah, yeah. And, and a little taller than um, Odora. The, the Balua parentage gives it gives it some um, some height. Yep. Yeah. And, and what sort of shrub is it? What, what is it? Low shrub. Low? Yeah. yeah. Metre and a half. Metre and a half yeah. tops. Yeah. yeah. Um, shade. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and a prune each year after flowering. They're like the acacias, mm-hmm. a little bit, yep. little bit often, yep. rather than they don't like a big hard prune. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, cuttings in December mm-hmm. on semi-ripe wood and fertilising Mediterranean basin. <laughs> <laughs> so what have we learned? Yes. <laughs> Dolomite. Dolomite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and whatever else you have around, good thick mulch, yep. which is you know prerequisite for everything in my garden. Frost hardy, I think so. Mm. I don't know, don't know. I mean, we just don't get frost. Mm. I've got um, balura, but it's sort of down the side of the the bush, so it's got that shelter from mm. um, the bush from frost. So I can't really sort of say either. Yeah. I, I think they are pretty um, good. But someone out there will know. Balua, Balua can be problematic. I mean, if you get it going and it's healthy, it's good. Mm. But very often it'll grow and not look happy at all. The deer like mine. Really? Daphne mm. Balua? Mm. That's extraordinary. Mm. Uh, I, I know the one wa- on the way in too. Did you? Yeah. The wallabies eat the Daphne, but of course they're allowed to. Yeah. yeah. Because they're wallabies. Yeah. <laughs> I think we had the same thing here, yeah. Craig. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but the deer are not allowed to eat anything. Or the rabbits. No. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but I've never a seen. Beautiful thing. Yeah, um, perfume princess. It's it's. Well, it's that's a, your favourite, isn't it? It's your favourite, Daphne. Mm. No. Oh. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> yeah. okay. There are no, quite a lot of Daphnes. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I have um, species ones. Yeah, they like. have yeah. little mm. ones around, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really do favourites. Okay. Uh, no, it's too hard, isn't it? It's too hard, yeah. yeah. The, People the, ask me what's your favourite and I go, it depends mm. what time of year it is. Yeah, yeah. it's like your favourite child. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's a question which we really should get out of the habit of asking fellow gardeners. Yeah. What's, it's, it's more about what's your favourite family or something. Mm. Or, Even yeah. that's hard. Even yeah, that's, that's hard. right. Yeah. 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 But it does, yeah. it it's depends. Difficult. And, and everything has its own... 
um, uses and, and merit and merits, yeah. etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I we are getting close to time. Um, but that was quick. Got, yeah, it, it was very, very quick. But uh, we still got a few more minutes. So what's oh yeah. this one? Yeah. Little one. Okay. Jane. So it is Romulea hartungii, mm-hmm. um, and it's one of the Mediterranean. Um, Romulaeus. Most of them are endemic to southern Africa. So all the big showy ones, the big bright red ones like Sabulosa or Monadelpha and things like that. And that's um, not showy? Well, I think it is. <laughs> I think it's a, an amazing um, Romulae. Now, they're a um, corn and they basically flower from yeah, late winter into spring, early summer. Um, and require a really well-drained position. So mm-hmm. in a pot, adding perlite or um, gravel is um, a great idea. Uh, and they're dormant over the summer, so just cool and dry, but great for a nice warm rockery. Um, and so the flower on this is a deep um, violet purple, and it's almost shiny. It almost has mm-hmm. that wet look to it. And they're basically a, a star flower, that, and this one reflexes right back um there is a bit of sort of um where the hatangi eye is still um what it should be called but that's what i'm going with at the moment um obviously good increaser yeah well it's taken a while from that seed from 2017 though into that pot okay so it has fallen ta- into the trap has ta- has taken <laughs> a while yeah um, so, you know, but, but these, these things are worth it when you, when you can see it flower and prolifically in the pot, you know, each stem's got three or four flowers that are coming on it. Uh, so it only gets to about 15, um, centimetres tall, but has this beautiful thin, um, sort of Narcissus bulbacodum kind of foliage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Romulaeus are, are, are a great addition to that sort of sunny rockery position, um, and especially these ones that are flowering sort of late winter, um, it just brings a bit of joy. Beautiful. Mm. Beautiful. Well, that's amazing, guys. We got through so many plants today. So we'd like to thank Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulbs and Craig Wilson from Gentiana for sharing your knowledge. Uh, thank you to Liz for doing our socials. We'll pop some of these up on the, um, on the Instagram and Facebook. And thanks to Jacob, um, our producer, Uh, Thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, I'm A.B. Bishop, and until next week, bye-bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 